You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Welcome to the pinnacle of wrestling entertainment, Premier Streaming Network. Join us at watchonpremier.com to unlock the ultimate wrestling experience, curated to perfection. Immerse yourself in the spectacular world of wrestling history, where classic battles and unforgettable moments are at your fingertips. Join us today and experience the epitome of curated wrestling content, because when it comes to wrestling entertainment, Premier sets the standard. Be Premier. What's up, everybody? It's Marcus D'Angelo, and we are back for another episode of Everybody's Got a Pod. And of course, I'm here with the Million Dollar Man, the Hall of Famer, the the master of the Million Dollar Dream, Ted DiBiase. Ted, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Marcus. How are you today? Oh, man, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, We've got another really fun, exciting episode today. We love being able to uh, give our listeners an opportunity to interact with you. And and this is it, man. We you put it out actually on your social media and you got a whole ton of questions. So uh, we're doing another Ask Ted Anything. I'm excited to, to get into it. However, before we do, I just want to give everybody a reminder. Please head over to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash add everybody's got a pod. We have YouTube exclusive content you'll never hear on the show. Plus, we have a bunch of bite-sized clips so you can listen to them or introduce a friend to our podcast without them having to listen to the whole thing. Uh, Just give them a little taste of it. And I think that they're going to see that what we're doing over here is a lot of fun. Also, we did a huge giveaway of autographed merch over there to kick off the show last month. And we have more on the way. So all you've got to do. Yeah, all you've got to do to be eligible, Ted, uh, they've, they've just got to get over there and subscribe. And then they're automatically entered for all future giveaways. Again, that's YouTube.com slash at Everybody's Got a Pod. Subscribe today. One last thing before we get going. If you're enjoying our show on your podcast app, on your phone or laptop or however you're listening to us, just take a moment, like, subscribe, leave us a five-star review. That helps us out. A whole bunch. Uh, so, Ted, you ready to jump into some of these fan questions? Let's, let's go. <laughs> All right, here we go. David Ziegler asks, I just finished the Dark Side episode on JYD. It was by far my favorite in the entire series, though the payoffs were much less in Mid-South compared to the WWF. Where did you have a better time? Mid-South seems like it was a great time with great guys and many legends. Uh, I had a great time in Mid-South. I mean, it's kind of like... Uh, uh, Mid South was like the right at the end of the what we call the territory era. Territorially, um, I guess it, it more fun in terms of uh, we all, you know, it was kind of like a caravan. You know, it's kind of like once I went to the WWF, I wasn't traveling by car anymore. I was, you know, we were flying everywhere. Yeah, and. Uh, when you're driving, it was, it was a lot different. Like, you know, I, I can't remember the, uh, Monday nights were, uh, back in mid South days and it was a big territory, huge, but just like one of the, one of the circuits, uh, a lot of guys lived in Baton Rouge. So we'd wrestle in, 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 uh, New Orleans on Monday night. 
That's easy. That was like an 85 mile trip. We'd wrestle in Baton Rouge on Tuesday night. So that's almost like you're, you're two nights sleeping in your bed at home in your apartment. Uh, and then, so either, either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, you would get up and drive, you know, uh, 240 miles to Shreveport for the sole reason of going to the TV studio and doing interviews for that week's TV show. Mm. And then after interviews are done, then that would be like from like about eight 30 or nine o'clock till noon. Then you'd have lunch, get in your car and you would drive 200 miles uh, east to Jackson, Mississippi and wrestle in Jackson Wednesday night. Uh, and a couple ways, either you stayed over in Jackson Wednesday because Thursday you were going to go north a hundred miles or 120 miles, either to Greenwood or Greenville, Mississippi wrestle there, wrestle there now on Thursday night. And then from there drive all the way back to Baton Rouge. Now, it is from Jackson, because I, I, I live in, in a suburb of Jackson, Mississippi now. It's 180 miles from here to Baton Rouge. So that's a 280 or, or maybe almost a 300-mile trip, uh, depending on whether you were in Greenwood or Greenville, back to Baton Rouge on Thursday night. And then Friday, uh, you would you would wrestle either in uh, there were there there were a few possibilities. Uh, one 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 place was a little place called Laranger. I mean, Laranger is so small. It is, but but they would pack this little building, and it was like only you know I mean it was like thirty minutes from Baton Rouge, and this this little bitty this little bitty town. Or you might go to Lafayette. Lafayette was, you know, 30 or 40 minutes, I think, from uh, from Baton Rouge. And, uh, you know, yeah, and wrestle there. Uh, and then you go, you go back home. And then Saturday, now Saturday, depending on what week it was, you know, once Bill Watts bought Houston, we would drive all the way to Houston, drive all the way to Houston, and wrestle in Houston on Saturday night and drive back. How how long was that trip? Oh my gosh, it, it was like uh, three hundred and fifty miles. I oh, think. My goodness. The only time that we would fly is Bill Watts would fly us, like from uh, from uh, Baton Rouge on a Saturday. He'd fly us to Oklahoma City, and we would we would work a matinee show, a matinee, a show at at like one o'clock in the afternoon. And that would be over at three. And then we would get in our cars, our rental cars, and drive 100 miles to Tulsa and do an evening show. And then get on a plane in Tulsa Monday, fly back to Baton Rouge, get in our cars, and drive to New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> it was nuts. You know, it's like sometimes I think about that and I said, God, I can't believe I, you know, I did that. And I mean, but then once, you know, once we went to the WWF, I mean, uh, and most of that was flying, but a lot of times what, what Vince would do was he would like fly us into say Chicago and maybe, okay, you work in Chicago on Friday night. And then Saturday, uh, you go about a hundred miles North to Milwaukee. And then on Sunday you go another, uh, I don't know how far it is from Milwaukee to green Bay. 
work in Green Bay on Sunday night, and then Sunday night drive all the way back, stay over in Chicago, and then catch a flight out Monday morning. But still, it's travel. I mean, travel, travel, travel. But not all of it was was by car. And uh, you know, and and again, because of the traveling by car most of the time, uh, the camaraderie and and yeah, I don't know, it was just. I guess it, we. I guess it was like a little less stressful than, than, you know, flying and having to, you know, be sure you, you don't miss your flight and you got to get your rental car and you got to do this, you got to do that. When you, we were just driving, you just got your car and you and you went. But but the end of the territory days, uh, you know, I hate I hated to see him go. Man, hearing all the stories about the territories and gosh, there's there's a lot out there now in, in this podcasting era. Man, it sounds like it like it sounds crazy. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's it's like the inmates were just out yeah. running loose across <laughs> across the country. <laughs> but uh, the the fun you guys must have had stories drinking like probably a, a great time when you're in your 20s. Oh, gosh. You know, I, mean, I was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, look, we've got another kind of sort of dark side related question here that I'd love to hear your take on. Uh, Adam Holland asks, my question for you, Ted, is any memories of Matt Osborne while you were running the Rat Pack in Mid-South Wrestling? First of all, Ted, did you see the Dark Side of the Ring on Matt? Do what? Did you watch the uh, episode of Dark Side of the Ring about Matt Bourne? Matt Bourne? Uh, No, I did not. Okay, man, it was was a tough watch. Well, and and, and you know what? Uh, I personally never had any problem with Matt. Uh, uh, But... uh, but someone who I love dearly, who is one of the greatest, you know, greatest guys in the world and one of the toughest SOBs in the world is uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Mm-hmm. Jim Duggan and Matt Bourne, you know, I mean, I, you know, I thought they were going to tear the dressing room up one night, you know, uh, and that was a that was a relationship that was never good. I, you know, Matt was just a he's just a weird guy. Uh, just a different guy. Man, what a hell of a performer. You know, uh, I, oh, yeah. As, yeah. as I was watching that, I was like, man, like this guy seems pretty unhinged. Uh, however, uh, you know, watching his, his ring work, it's like, man, that dude could go. Yeah, he could go. He could go. But, you know, uh, he was not exactly Mr. Personality. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, we've got Yambag Jones who asks, who's your favorite wheelman and who did you know never to get in the damn car with? <laughs> <laughs> My favorite wheelman was me. Ah. Uh, and I guess I was pretty notorious for having a real heavy foot. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, you know, my wife even told me, she said, honey, she says, you know, a lot of your buddies, you know, or, you know, like, you know, they may not tell you, but, you know, uh, you scared the shit out of a lot of them by the way you drove. <laughs> uh, I said, really? Well, you know, yeah. uh, but I, I don't know. Some, some guys might say, don't ever, don't ever get in the ring with Ted. I mean, in a car with Ted, but you know, I, you know, the other thing is I, well, you know, it wasn't, and then, then, you know, traditionally wrestlers bought great big four door cars because mm-hmm. you're going to be riding with somebody. And, and then I, I, you know, I just got a wild hair and, and I, you know, I bought a, I bought a, a Trans Am 
Uh, I mean, and this is uh, this is a Trans Am that looked just like the Trans Am and Smokey and the Bandit. Oh no way! Yeah, you know, with the T tops, the whole the whole deal. And you talk about oh my gosh, I broke a lot of records. I mean, it's like uh, you know, we actually had to wrestle, you know, on Christmas night. Yeah. Uh, you know, when the promoters found out that people actually would go out to events, I mean, it's like, I guess you unwrap all your presents and you want to go do something. So, uh, Christmas night became a, a big money night, you know, and it was New Orleans and I, I wrestled in New Orleans. Okay. I remember a Christmas morning I got up and I drove down there and I wrestled and it's 180 miles, I think. Uh, back from Baton Rouge, I'm, I mean, from New Orleans back to to Jackson, mm -hmm. and I did it in two hours and ten minutes. <laughs> I take it uh, the police didn't try to stop you, brother. It was Christmas night. There wasn't anybody on that highway. <laughs> I mean, I, I I put the eagle of my my Trans Am. I put that eagle head right on right on the white line. I was right. I was just, you know, you know. I, every now and then, I would I would pass a car, but other than that, it was just, you know, giddy up, go. <laughs> Man, that is some Smokey and the Bandit stuff. Yeah, it is. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, uh, it was again. I mean, uh, anybody that has ever thought that wrestling was an easy life is is just they don't know what that we're talking about. Man, it's I, I can't imagine how difficult that would be because you're with your own children and you've got to say, okay, yeah, that was fun, that was great. We all open our presents. See you guys later. And you just leave. It's man, that would be tough. Yeah, yeah. Next up, we've got Eddie Prather who asks, Ted, where would you rank Brad Armstrong as an in-ring worker? He's easily in my top five. And I would agree. And you know, um, I also um, I had a lot to do with a young Brad Armstrong. Um, Cause when he first came to Atlanta, he and I, you know, we, we worked a lot together and um, you know, uh, I think even Brad would have told you that I helped him mature a lot as a worker, but Oh my gosh. I mean, again, he's a, a, a guy like myself who grew up idolizing his dad and wanted not to do nothing else but but be a wrestler and he yeah gosh i mean he was really good i mean yeah i would i put him in the top five absolutely without a doubt you know i i talked to jake recently on our podcast the snake pit about brad armstrong and jake said that i i asked him what he why he thought brad armstrong didn't reach greater heights uh in wrestling and he said because brad wasn't really willing to travel like if, if vince would have got his hands on him would have been a whole other ball of wax he but he said brad just wanted to stay in the south and be close to his family was that your impression as well yeah pretty much yeah pretty man much Man, yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. blame him for that. So no, no. I mean, look, if you're making a good living, and you don't have to yeah. travel too far from home. Why would you mess with that? Yeah. Um. All right. Next up, we've got Christopher who asks, Ted, you were there for the Goldberg phenomenon. What did you think of Goldberg and his quick rise? Uh. Well, I mean, I yeah, I can't I can't blame Goldberg for anything. I mean, it's like uh, 
it was just, you know, he was at the right place at the right time. And it was a, a great opportunity, but you're talking about a guy that they pushed from the get go that had no earthly knowledge about what the hell he was doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he was just to- such a, such a novice uh, in terms of, uh, of being a wrestler. And then it wasn't his fault. I mean, and, and, and he, you know, being the right guy with the right look at the right time at the right place, you know, that, that that's how I look at that whole, that whole thing. Uh, personally, I think he's a great guy, you know, but you know, I, I have never considered him like, you know, I wouldn't put him in the top five, maybe not even the top 10 of, of, of like performers. Uh, he was just, again, uh, he came, you know, out of football and that's, that was his, you know, that was his way in. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that either. I just was never that impressed with his wrestling ability. No, I mean, it's, uh, it was kind of like a train wreck where he's coming out there and I, you know, as a kid, I'm, I'm watching him and I'm like, Hey, I like this guy because it looks like he's just beating the shit out of everybody he gets in the ring with. As it turns out, he was yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah. apparently those, those, uh, spears and kicks could be pretty stiff. Yeah. Yeah. RCS 88 asks if you form the rat pack in the WWF in 87 to 88, which two guys on the roster at the time would have been a good fit? I mean, Jim Duggan was there in the WWF. Yeah. Now the rat pack never made it to the WWF. That was, uh, that was me and, and hacksaw and, and, and born. Yeah. Well, so his question is if, if you had formed it in the WWF, what two guys on that roster would you uh, have liked to have paired up with hypotheticals? Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, wow. I don't know. Um, who was el- Who else was there with me? I mean, other, what, I mean the, what were the other heels with, with me? Uh, I mean, Jim was there uh, in theory, if you wanted to form the Rat Pack, uh, I guess you could turn Jim Duggan heel and I'm um, trying to think of who else stood yeah. out in that era. I don't know. Hey, look, maybe the move is you take a team like the Brain Busters, Arn and Tully, because they were there in 88. Yeah. And there, there's your Rat Pack. That could work. Uh, that that could work. Or, you know, if I, you know, get uh, Hacksaw, Hacksaw would have been great, you know, and and, uh, and Jake. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, could you imagine? Deal, you know. All right. I like your idea better than mine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jimmy asks, Ted, what can you tell us about your relationship and working with Scott Hall? Uh, You know, I didn't work a lot with Scott Hall. You know, it's like, uh, you know, when he first started, you know, uh, when when that whole thing got going, I, you know, I, you know, and I had a match with him, put him over. Um, and that whole deal with, with Scott and, uh, Kevin, uh, you know, and, you know, Kevin, and I think it was Shawn Michaels. Oh, the click. Yes. Click, you know, uh, I was, you know, I just tried to stay away from that as far as I could. And I didn't, you know, it was kind of like it'll, it'll, it'll either implode or explode. And I didn't know which was going to happen, but obviously it, you know, it didn't implode. It, it got over. So, but that was that, that was their first real taste of, you know, main, main event for, for, for both of them, for, for Scott and for Kevin. 
All right, next up we've got Bob Weirton who asks, did you have any kind of relationship with Ray Trailer? Brother Love Show with you, Boss Man Slick and Jake is one of my earliest memories watching wrestling, and I have been a mark for the Boss Man ever since. Uh, I know that you worked with him alongside the Steiner Brothers in WCW too. What did you think of Ray? Ray was a good guy. He 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 was he was a real good guy. He was a funny guy, uh, a very likable guy, and uh, you know, never had a problem with Ray. And and you know, he, he you know he was he was dang dang good worker. You know, he he played his part well. Man, a guy his size being able to move the way that he could. Uh, yeah, exactly. Pretty impressive guy. Um, Here's, here's a not wrestling related question. It's kind of an interesting one. Sean Berkey asks, "What is your favorite movie?" <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> you don't get asked this one in shoot oh, interviews, gosh, I bet, right? Man, uh, you know, I'm a real movie buff. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is go to the movies. I mean, I've I have spent my whole life getting in front of people and entertaining them. So going to the movies is my opportunity to go could go be entertained uh, oh my gosh it would it would be you know I, i'm a typical guy i i like the, i like the war movies man uh you know uh uh i won one of those movies that uh comes to mind is uh flags of our fathers oh yeah um was a good you know and you know i think it was actually it was based on you know you know some some facts i mean i think i think that's one wasn't that the one where they were on Iwo Jima, I believe so. I it's, think it's, so. Been a, it's been a while since I watched. Yeah, it, and, man. and it was just yeah, yeah. That was a real intense movie. Uh, and again, you know, I'm a, you know, I like I like good old westerns. I mean, remember, I, I went to, I went to high school in this little town called Wilcox. That's, you know, as a crow flies about sixty five miles from Tombstone, Arizona. So, Tombstone, the movie. Uh, what was a big hit with me, and uh, and just the one Wyatt Earp with yeah. Kevin Costner, uh, you know, because those characters are, you know, that was you know like, you know, it was a part of history that, and, and a matter of fact, I can't remember which one, but in the old there's there's two cemeteries in Wilcox now. There's the old cemetery, and for years, I mean, I, they just I mean they just let weeds grow up and everything. It's almost like they forgot about it. But then they went back and they cleaned it all, cleaned it all up and everything. And you could go walk through there now. My father and my mother, and my grandmother, they're buried at the newer cemetery in Wilcox. But in the old cemetery, one of the Earp brothers is buried there. He got into a uh, got into the city, got into a fight with somebody in the bar right there. It was called Railroad Avenue. Obviously, because mm. the railroad came right through there. And went out on the street and, uh, and and got shot, killed. So one of the Earps is buried in the old Wilcox Cemetery. How about that? Yeah. But so I yeah I like you know uh, I like the westerns, man. Uh, well, if you had to choose uh, Clint Eastwood or John Wayne, who's your guy? Oh wow, that's tough. Right. That, that that's really tough. Okay, I'm going to put it this way. For their representative eras, obviously, there is no match for John Wayne in his era. And for Clint Eastwood, I don't think there was any match for 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 his era. of, of You know, it's kind of like 
you know, like what error did I wrestle in? You know, that type of deal. And it's kind of yes. like, if I, if I were to start talking about Dory Funk Sr. and Iron Mike DiBiase, that was their era. I was, that was the era right before me. You know, I mean, I, I, that's a toss up, man. I mean, I, both those guys in my estimation, I mean, uh, I mean, and, and, you know, John Wade did a lot of Westerns, but, you know, he also, you know, played other parts and was good in all of them. My, my, same thing with Clint Eastwood. You yeah. know, he kind of branched out and started to do some serious stuff and directing. And yeah, it's uh, that's that's a tough one for me too. Yeah. Because uh, man, John, like I love that movie Rio Bravo with John Wayne, yeah, Dean Martin and those guys back in the yeah. day. Um, but but you know some of the stuff that Clint Eastwood has done, even modern, is man, unbelievable. Uh, another one of my okay, an all time favorite movie, The Alamo. Oh yeah. You know The Alamo with with John Wayne and oh gosh, a. Uh, Litany of stars were in that movie. Man says you you got me. Uh, you're giving me the itch to go and watch some old <laughs> westerns now. Um, all right, next up we have got Darth Vengeance, who asks, "Who would you love to work with today?" Ted, any but any modern day wrestlers stand out to you? Uh, you know, I, I I've got to be real honest. I I am not a big fan uh, of of the modern era of, of wrestling, and I'm just, uh, uh, you know, the guy I, I, Roman Reigns. I mean, uh, there's I guess probably one of their biggest stars now, right? Yeah. <clears throat> or is is Roman Reigns the guy? I mean, he is. Is he not like would be would he be Hulk Hogan of modern day? For sure. And by yeah. the way, you know, a lot of people point to the uh, the angle with you and Hogan and the, and the twin referees. A lot of people for many years have said, like, well, that's the greatest story ever told in professional wrestling. Now a lot of people are starting to come around on uh, Roman Reigns and his story with the bloodline. I don't know if you've seen yeah. any of that, but like a lot of people are saying, like, well, this might be the greatest story ever told in wrestling. So yeah. and hard to yeah. beat, hard to yeah. beat Roman Reigns. Yeah. And, and again, Roman Reigns is, you know. Uh, what and who was Roman's father? Ah, uh, Sika. Yeah, or was it Alpha? Uh, well, it's one of them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't remember, but Alpha <laughs> and Sika, man, and 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 again, you have another second generation wrestler who you know grew up wanting to be like his daddy, and uh, there's a lot of us. <laughs> Man, it's uh, the the first name that came to mind whenever I read that question initially. I was like, man, Ted in his prime with maybe Cody Rhodes. That could be something. Yeah, so, there's certainly no no end of the talent out there. Uh, and or, like, come on, Dan, Brian Danielson. Whew, yeah, could put on yeah. a hell of a match. Uh, all right. Next up, here's a related question. We've got Jonathan Robson. Was there anyone from your 80s and 90s WWF run? that you never got to work with, but you wish you could have. Wow. I'm kind of racking my brain on it. I yeah, mean, uh, I mean, gosh, like a program with you and Shawn Michaels, maybe. I don't know. Well, you know, uh, okay. That would be one, uh, because I did never get to work with him there, but I did, I, I, I did work with Sean in mid South when he first started. When I, when, when he, I mean, the first time he showed up in the dressing room for Bill Watts, you know, uh, I was there, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I did a TV match with him and I could tell he had, you know, he had the stuff, buddy. 
even as a young guy, he wasn't he wasn't green or didn't come off as green. Uh, no, he, you know, for as young as he was, you know, he, well, again, you know, it's kind of like you can tell, you know, you can tell, you know, you, you, you can't, you, you know, you can't, you know, the one, the one innate thing that you can't give anybody is, is charisma. And if if you don't have charisma, you're never going to be a successful wrestler. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, and there's a lot of guys like, for example, I mean, I mean, not only was Sean full charisma, but he was an excellent worker. Our next question is from Brent Lindsay. He asks, with all the talents having problems with pain relievers and alcohol abuse problems due to injuries, my question is, how did you deal with the day-to-day pain problems without abusing substances? Well, I mean, you got to be careful. That's all I can, I can say. Um, the, you know... I took, you know, like, uh, I, I took pills that would, I, what do they, I don't know, what, what do you call them? I mean, like a, that would, that would keep me up. I, okay. I, did, I, like I did. Adderall or speed or something. Or yeah. Like that. Yeah. Something like that. Like Adderall, you know, Adderall's a, a good one. Uh, cause I mean, and, and Adderall comes in different doses and stuff. And so, um, you know, that's what I basically would do. Uh, you know, uh, were there some times when I snorted a line of Coke or something? Yeah. It's like, I, I can remember stopping dog on the highway one night because I was almost asleep at the wheel and I had to, I had to get to Shreveport and, uh, <laughs> I said, well, he's going to, I, you know, I, I, I kind of give him the lights and had him stop on the side of the road. And, you know, I, you know, I, I was looking for maybe a Benny or something like that, you know, and he says, no. This is what I've got. And so we like, you know, like to, you know, and you're ready to roll. It's all I needed to get me there. So, but again, (laughs) I was not, I was not like a, I was not like a, it wasn't like, it wasn't like an everyday thing for me. Uh, You know, any of that stuff. And and I, I, I couldn't stand pot. I mean, I think the first time I ever smoked pot, uh, it was kind of like some guys could smoke pot and it was like, they took an upper. It's like, they're like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, not me. I'm like this. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm really hungry. And could somebody please help me get out of this chair? <laughs> <laughs> so me and marijuana did not mix at all. You know, if, <clears throat> you know, if, uh, now I have, you know, and, and like, you know, uh, like today, like, uh, you can get, and, uh, you can get, um, you can get gummies that, I mean, it's, it's pot. Yes. So, uh, but the, uh, you know, and what I do is I I'll take half of one of those and I'll, you know, it helps me go to sleep, stay asleep. It's not relaxium. It's better. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard about a lot of people that use gummies for whether it's yeah. sleep issues or anxiety. Yeah. Like, man, it's yeah. uh, a lot of people still say like, oh, well, it's a drug. Yeah, it's kind of medicine uh, if you're if you're not using yeah. it for recreation. Yeah. And I never, you know, like uh, I mean, and again, uh, I traveled with JYD a lot. JYD, I mean, a JYD dog could could smoke a joint and it was like it lit him up i'm telling you it had that effect on him you know where i would have been over here like this 
he, he's wide eyed, you know? And so, you know, um, and he just, he just got into it to, you know, way, way into it too much. Sad story. Uh, that is, I mean, watching that, it was tough. If you miss the dark side of the ring with JYD, uh, which, which aired last night as we're recording this, go out of your way to, to go and find the replay of it. Cause man, it's, it's a tough story. Um, and you know, certainly heartbreaking, uh, at the end, but, but really it's, it's, uh, a lot of it's a celebration of him and his incredible career. Yeah. Yeah. Next up, Ted, we've got Brian Deere. How did you come up with your finisher, the Million Dollar Dream? Ted, you were doing the fist drop when you first got there for a while, right? Well, the fist drop was never a finish, uh, really. Um, and so it's kind of like it was it was a it was something I, I used, and it's something that was unique to me because not, not too many people did that. And after a while, I had to modify it because what I would do is I would I would kick out. And I would come down, and I I would have my my left arm in in tight, and I'm coming down with the fist like this. Yeah. And as long as I as long as I held that right right there, like in the middle of my chest, you know, even even though it looked like it, you know, like took his head off, you know, he just barely touched it. And so, yeah, a lot of people liked the fist drop, but it wasn't it wasn't a finisher for me. And I, it's kind of like you have to come up with a finish that you can do on anybody, mm. you know? And so it's, there were some things, uh, you know, it's like, you know, I could, you know, like, uh, uh, I think, I don't know somebody, I think somebody did a power slam as, as a finish. And it's like, well, you know, I could do a power slam with a lot of guys, but, uh, you know, you put me in there with a, you know, 350 pound guy, I ain't going to be able to power slam him. Right. And so the, the, what I called the million dollar dream was a modified sleeper hold. And, and it's, it's smart business too, yeah. because really it's, it reduces the wear and tear on your body. If you're hoisting a dude up for a finish every single yeah. night, yeah. man, that'll beat you up. Yeah. So yeah, I, I just called it the million dollar dream and it was just a modified sleeper hold. And, I, and that's why it's, I, that's something that I could, I could put on anybody. I've heard Hogan say over the years that his biggest regret is that he didn't just use a sleeper hold as his finish because he's like, I had the largest arms in the world, so to speak, and uh, I should have just used a sleeper oh. instead of dropping on my ass every night, which screwed up his back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, Ted, we'll do a couple more and then we'll get out of here. Aaron Liebman asks, did you consider going back to the WWF after it became apparent WCW had no plans for you in 1998? Well, you know, um, no, actually, I by by that time, again, you know, my, my whole move to WCW was a move. I mean, because my initial contract with them was a three-year guaranteed deal, and I got each year got more, and it was no cut, and whether they used me or they did, they didn't use me, so. Um, they, I think when I first got there, I don't think, you know, again, you know, like, uh, um, who was running it? Bishop, Eric Bishop. Now I, you know, I like Eric, Eric's a nice guy, but I'll be honest with you at that time, Eric, Eric didn't know squat about wrestling. You know, he, he was, he was learning. I mean, how he got put in that position, I still don't understand, you know, but, but, you know, 
you know, if you, you know, take the ball, try to run with it. It was around 1998, uh, and I think, and I don't know this for sure, but I think it was like right around the time that Scott Steiner turned heel and joined the NWO that like we just kind of stopped seeing you on TV because um, you had been managing the Steiner brothers. And it's like at that time, you know, as you're not well, being used, were well, you like, hey, maybe I could go back at some point? Well, I mean, again, um, I, and the Steiners were baby faces. Yeah. And that, that was the deal, you know, and when I first came in there, I was a heel. And so it's almost like, you know, they, they turned, they turned me baby face, uh, and put me with the Steiners. And, and I, I guess that's cause I, they, they really didn't have anything else to do with me. And I, and I, I told, I just told Eric, I said, look, I said, you know, if, if, if you're not going to do anything else with me, then you might as well just leave me home because I knew whether they left me home or not, I was going to, I was going to get paid. And, and, and that was it. And, 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 and by that time, the other thing that was ramping up and, and I told, well, that was the other, the other deal. The other reason I think that they turned me baby faces, I told them, I said, look, I said, I have a ministry now and I'm making a lot of appearances on Christian television. And so you might think about doing something to turn me baby face because as far as the, you know, because for the fans, it kills the whole thing. They, they see me on a religious program, you know, talking about Jesus Christ, you know, and then I'm, I'm the seal manager on TV. It's kind of like it, it kills it. I mean, that's, right. you know, kills the whole mystique, right? Yes. And so that's why they turned to me baby face. But that part of my life was becoming much more important. So, you know, I just, I just looked at that as, okay, I'll take the three years. And then, you know, because I wasn't going to work a lot for them, it gave me a lot more opportunity uh, to book events, you know, uh, with churches. And that's what I did. All right, Ted, last question, then I'll let you go. TJ Sherwood asks, who was your toughest opponent in the ring as far as actual work with them physically? Uh, so I think that TJ is asking, like, who maybe did you struggle to bring the best out of in the ring? Oh, gosh. Um, I know the Warriors probably an obvious answer just because he didn't know what the hell he was doing out there. But Well, I mean, and that, that's what I was about to say because – you know, and, and you, unless you totally let him, you know, you, you know, and uh, I, I guess he would have been the hardest. Um, what about like a, a big guy that, you know, like ordinarily the big guys that kind of just lumber around, it's hard to, you know, maneuver them. Well, you know, with, with big guys, it's kind of like going to go back to what uh, Terry Funk told me. He says, you know, you, you got you to gotta put them in the middle of the ring and work around them. And so... Uh, the great big guys, I would, what I would do in, in the matches with those guys, like, you know, like, uh, you know, my gosh, uh, Bundy or yeah, Andre Bundy, not, I didn't work. Uh, Andre was always my partner. Uh, another, who's another big, real big guy. Uh, shoot. Did you ever work with like Haystacks or, uh, one of those guys? Oh, but there was, you know, Bundy and, and there was, there was anyway, but I, you know, pretty much, you know, I would like lock up with those guys and then I would have them just power out. You know, they, they would just push me off, right? You know, and 
it, you know, like, and even go back into the corner with it, you know, and, and kind of scratch my head and, and make it look to the people. And it's like, you know, like I'm, I'm thinking about what, what, you know, what do I got to do to this guy? You know, and then I keep locking up with him and, and he just keep pushing power and out, you know, and all right, I would, uh, I would I'd hit him and, and, and like, like hit him like, and I was going to you know like, uh, turnbuckling and he wouldn't go in anyway. And, and I would tell him, don't, don't move, don't move. And it's like, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't turnbuckle him and his, and I'd have him reverse it and he'd turn, turnbuckle me. But at some point I would do something to where maybe have him, uh, you know, uh, go for a clothesline and I duck and go behind him. And I would, I would clip him at the knee from behind. And, you know, and so now, now I'm getting him down on his knees to where we're face to face. Yes. And I can start working on his head. So if, if that makes any sense. It uh, does. That's that's the type of things I would do that would logically, if you're working with somebody that big, that's you know, you gotta you, you know, you gotta work on them when you when you, when and how you get them down. And so interesting uh you know and, and some, something that i think is kind of a lost start i mean now nowadays you see the big guys and some of them are doing like moonsaults and stuff it's like man it's i don't know if that's how you do it um well real quick it's also making me wonder you know jake talks all the time about like how rough it was getting in the ring with ronnie garvin where like he's like hey look i love to work with the guy but like i you were you were limping away from the ring because it was half a shoot uh, was there anybody like that that you stepped in the ring with where it was like, man, I'm going to get my ass beat tonight. No. Uh, and you know, and, and you know, I worked with Ronnie Garvin a lot. I mean, you know, Ronnie was, uh, you know, it was what we call stiff. I mean, I mean, if you ever went to Japan, I mean, you know, the, all the Japanese were three quarters stiff. I mean, it was like, you know, the chop was the chop and it, I mean, it was, it was it was loud. It was real, and it would leave a big red handprint on your chest. Uh, but I mean, you know, I, I never. That's I didn't. You know, I, I didn't think that. The, the main uh, Jake never had a problem with Ronnie, did he? Oh no, now, he loves Ronnie Garvin, and yeah. they love their matches. But he always just says, "Like man, I would leave that ring covered in blood." Like uh, it was <laughs> like, and like he said, like it was essentially just devolved to live rounds while they were in the ring, just because it's like, okay, let's just you know, hey, look, if we're gonna make it look real, let's go ahead and make it look real. Well, yeah, and see again, I, I was the same way, and and it's yeah, you know, like I was gonna make it. It's kind of like my attitude was always. You know, some of these people, you know, they think they think they all think they're smart. You know, wrestling's fake, and I'm going to do the best job I can for them. They they might think every other match on this card is uh, was fake, but I'm going to try to make make them believe mine was for real. You know, kind of like, hey, these two guys were going for it. You know, so that was just the attitude in my head. So make it as real as you can, uh, as as a going away. One more Ronnie Garvin story. Oh now, my gosh, please. Ronnie Garvin was a great worker, but also he was a pilot. He had a plane. Yes. And I think it was Alexandria where um, we had wrestled and I can't, I can't even now remember where we were going to go, but you know, there was a couple of guys and, and he said, Hey, you know what, you know, 
hey, just ride with me, me and, I, and, and my plane. He said, we'll be there in 30 minutes. And I said, oh, okay, great. And so <laughs> this guy, and this is the promoter of the town in Alexandria. He drives us out to this field. I mean, when I say field, it's like a field. It's, it's kind of like, where's, where's the runway? And, and, uh, and so we go, we go out there. I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, and he said, so what he told me, he told the, the promoter, he says, he says, drive all the way down there uh, to, to the end and, and turn your car around, you know, like facing the plane with your headlights on. That gives me something to see. In other words, I, I, you know, as long as I can, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take off coming right towards your, your car. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, I said, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I hope I didn't make a mistake here. You know, I don't want to. <laughs> uh, what was it? I don't want to be but the next Buddy Holly story. <laughs> right it's man so you were on the plane while ron garvin is, is oh 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 yeah i mean and he he well we took right off and i can't remember where we go we we, we went but i mean i was you talk about a, a guy who was praying i was like oh my gosh <laughs> man yeah. that man that was, was wild that's uh, you know you got to trust your body with these guys in the ring, but I I don't know about <laughs> trusting my body with one of the guys in, in the air. <laughs> uh, but no, Ronnie, oh, man. Ronnie was he was always uh, I mean you talk about a a great worker. There Ronnie Garvin was one of the best. Man, I'm I'm Boy, starting to get introduced to him as I get older and kind of get into the podcasting thing where I'm doing my research and I go back and watch a lot of his stuff. And man, he was he was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Well, this has been awesome too, Ted. Really appreciate you joining joining me today for for another great episode of Everybody's Got a Pod. Before we go, I want to remind you all that if you'd like to be, get this podcast on video with no commercials and get access to a ton of sports, entertainment, and other shows, get over to PremierStreamingNetwork.com. Sign up for Premier Plus. RVD has a podcast. Sabu has a podcast. My friend Efren does the game event game show over there. If you're a wrestling fan, a fan of sports, or you're just looking for some great entertainment, I can pretty much guarantee you're going to love what's going on over at PremierStreamingNetwork.com. We'll be back for more next week, but in the meantime, we'd love to get you to follow us on social media. We're at Ted DiBiase Pod on all social media platforms. You can follow Ted at MDM Ted DiBiase on his social media. Follow me at Marcus P. D'Angelo on Twitter. And follow Premier Streaming Network at Watch on Premier on Twitter and at Premier Streaming Network on Instagram and Facebook. Man, Ted, uh, every time we go into one of these episodes, I know it's going to be good, but you always uh, overcome even my expectations. This was a great episode. Uh, my pleasure. I look forward to the next time. And until then, just remember, Everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we'll catch you next week right here on Everybody's Got a Pod.